Welcome to the Issues on Appeal podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Diker. This is episode 18, Inmate Law Clerk. Thanks for joining me. This week's show is again sponsored by Commercial Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. This week, we're talking about inmate law clerks. My guest is Andrew Conley, who was formerly a certified inmate law clerk and is now working as paralegal for the law office of W. Charles Fletcher in Jacksonville. My discussion with Andrew is coming up next. So, Andrew Conley, welcome to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you are actually only the second non-lawyer uh, who's been on the podcast, but but I would definitely consider you to be a member of Florida's appellate community. So <laughs> I, to explain a little bit about how we got here, um, I, I met you because you listened to the podcast and you had sent me an email and uh, about some of the content on the show. And, and you had mentioned in your email that you are – you were a certified prison law clerk, and that really caught my attention. Uh, I was—I had never heard of that before, so I was kind of intrigued and thought this would be something we should talk about on the show. Well, yeah, I, I, I listened to the, the podcast. Uh, I discovered it um, uh, several months ago, and I started listening avidly. And, and so I, I noticed um, in listening, because I, I did um, – a great many uh, handled a great many criminal appeals when I was a prison law clerk and post conviction motions and, and things of that nature. I, I noticed uh, uh, that I, I would like to have heard some some stuff on criminal uh, appeals, and so that was what prompted me to uh, email you. Yeah, and ironically, that you know you'll be a part of that, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I pre- appreciate the request. Um, I want to talk to you about the whole prison law clerk, you know, how that works and the process, but I, I don't think we can ignore a little bit about, about your story and, and who you are. And I want to start with like, what is your educational background before, before you got to this point? Well, I have a high school education. Um, and, uh, I was uh, in business prior to, um, prior to, to, uh, to my prison sentence. Uh, and so I didn't have a, a, a law background, a background in law, and I had uh, really no plans to pursue anything in the law at that time. So um, what I uh, when I went to prison and I was I was convicted of manslaughter in in 2008 um, and uh, I was given a 13 year sentence. And so when I went, uh, my my initial plan was not to file an appeal or file any type of post-conviction motion. And I actually never did in my case, but I had a conversation uh, with a law clerk that was in, in, in prison with me. And he suggested that I might look into some of the things about my case. And so I, I made a visit to the law library and that sort of started me on a, on a, on a journey that, that, that lasted 10 years um, from the initial, from my first year, my, actually my first few months all the way through uh, to the end of my time in prison. Right. So, uh, you know, I think that most people think that the re- the way people get involved in these sorts of issues is representing themselves, right, or or an interest in in, in obtaining legal advice situation, and that really wasn't the case. No, I th- well, I think it's accurate insofar as as that that is, that's an accurate statement. Um, as far as the vast majority of, of prisoners go, I think the the, the average person that's that's uh, in prison that is filing papers in their criminal case, whether it be a, a, an appeal or an appeal from the denial of a post-conviction motion or a petition. Uh, 90%, I would say, of those people are, are initially interested in, in, in only dealing with their, their case. And, and many, the, I would say the majority of those are proceeding pro se um, insofar as they're writing their own materials, they're, they're, they're researching their own materials and, and, and attempting to, to file papers with the court. Uh, on their own. And so, um, from the perspective of a law clerk, I mean, to be a law clerk in prison requires you to take a, a certification program, which basically, um, just covers the fundamentals, the court rules, what you might expect in terms of post-conviction motions. And a law clerk is also expected to assist, uh, other inmates with, uh, administrative appeals within the department of corrections, like, 
um, inmate grievances and things like that. Uh, but the, the prime majority of the work that I did was was in directly with the courts, was direct appeals from from criminal convictions, post conviction motions, um, extraordinary writs, petitions for habeas corpus in the state and in the federal courts. Well, now I want to talk about that. Let me back up just a little bit. So, okay. when you, uh, how, how long had you been in when you decided this was something you were interested in doing? Um, I would say probably about four or five months was I, I had been in about four or five months, and I, I visited the law library uh, on a few occasions to research some issues unrelated to my conviction. And I struck up a conversation with a law clerk at the prison that I was at who happened to be an attorney who had been convicted of, uh, of a crime and, and was there. And he suggested that I, that I um, might have an aptitude for this. And so that became a, a friendship uh, that, that turned into a friendship that's actually lasted uh, to this day. And the way I began to learn was he sort of told me, um, he said, the law clerk training is, is good, but what you're going to have to do is this. And he began to describe to me the necessity to understand not just the court rules uh, and the common law and how statutes are applied to, to the factual circumstances of cases, but he he actually put me through my paces. I mean, after after sort of satisfying him that I had a basic understanding, he he allowed me to write a motion. It was a motion to correct an illegal sentence, and I produced what I thought at the time was a, was a masterpiece. It was twenty five, I think, twenty six pages long, and. I tried to sound as lawyerly as I could, and, and he ripped it to shreds. And after about six or seven attempts, I think I got it down to five. We've all had that experience, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've all had that experience of having I, our uh, legal papers ripped apart by someone uh, who knows more than we know. <laughs> right, exactly. So, but it, but it, but it was it, it was an interesting start because um, the principles that I think he conveyed to me are ones that that I applied throughout the time that I did this, and I, I, I think. Um, my growth as a writer, because I became I became so um, devoted to the notion that I could be a good writer that I uh, that I, I bought style manuals. I read them avidly. Um, in addition to constantly reading case law, I read every case that came out in the Florida Law Weekly, the civil cases, the criminal cases. I read treatises. I read entire uh, entire uh, entire series of books on Florida criminal procedure, and and so. But it all comes down in my mind, and, and I've always been a firm believer of this, that the ability to, to know something is is less valuable to you unless you can be persuasive uh, with that knowledge. And so writing became a, a center point of my focus throughout my, my experience. Now, tell me, are the, is there a certain number of these positions available at each institution? Is there like, do you have to apply for it or right. to, to, to go through the training? Well, it's actually interesting that you asked that question. Um, the way it works is there's about, um, I don't know how many prisons exactly there are in Florida, but, but there's at least one per county, I would, I would estimate. And at each institution, um, they have a law library, which, which is uh, obviously, um, it's funded at public expense. And so they have a pretty extensive collection in, in the library. Um, and so there are usually between five and seven law clerks at each institution, and of those, um, each one goes. You you sort of apply, but the way the application process goes is you have to have a, a minimum. You have to have a high school education or some college, um, or you could if you could uh, you could be a paralegal or an attorney. Obviously, that would make the process easier. And then um, if you can pass the the training, they have a they have a training um, program that's set up in modules, and I think it's twelve modules, and you learn. Um, uh, there's a module on, on criminal procedure and the rules of court. And then there's a module on 1983 complaints, section 1983 civil rights complaints. And there's, so there's various modules. And then, um, once you pass that, you have sort of a basic idea of what you're going to be expected to do. Um, and the, the remit for a law clerk is to, is to assist other inmates in researching and writing claims that are essentially going to go before the court. And so, um, out of those five to seven law clerks, um, there may be one or two that are actually producing documents that will be filed. Um, it's just it's it's not because the other ones wouldn't be willing to do so. It's just because it usually just in my experience over 10 years um, usually ends up to be one or two people that are actually effectively sort of litigating cases. 
Now, the, the training that you get, uh, how, how many hours of training is that, and how, how do they deliver it? Is it something that you that you watch on, on a video, or is it live training, or how did, how did that work? Well, it used, to be, it used to be live training. They used to actually have um, various people come, and they would have classes, and then, and, and then um, after the class, you would, you would take a test or be tested on the various modules. Now, it's written material. And you're really expected to sort of self-start. Uh, you have to, um, if you just read the written material they give you, then you're unlikely to pass the exams. You're going to have to get into the into the underlying material that it's discussing. For example, if if the if the module is covering um, uh, Florida Rule of Criminal Procedure 3.850, for example, you're going to have to read case law. You're going to have to familiar, familiarize yourself with the rule uh, and, and be prepared to answer questions that are outside sort of the what the what the training manual covers. And so what happens is after um, you get the module, then you wait. Um, you have a certain amount of time, usually about a month, 30 days or so, and then you are able to test. And if you you have to pass all of the tests with with a 70 percent or better in order to qualify as a law clerk. So, um, and if you fail too, then, then you're no longer in the program. So, um, if you carry that, if you, so you can, you could ostensibly take 12 months to complete the training, although, um, most complete it uh, a lot faster than that. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and, and certainly there's some people who don't, don't pass the test, right? I mean, that's, I imagine that's, do you have any idea what the passage rate is to, to um, talk about that? Right. I would estimate that the majority of people that take the training don't pass. Um, I, I, right. I, I wouldn't be able to give you hard statistics on that. There, there, it's, I, I, I characterize it today. I would sort of put it in perspective. I characterize the training as quite fundamental based on sort of the level of experience I've developed over the years. Um, but it's, but it's, it's still, uh, you know, I, I would say that a person qualifying as a prison law clerk is at least as qualified as a paralegal. Um, to perform various tasks. They understand service. They understand the various court rules. They understand, um, you know, the mechanics of, of what's happening. It, it's um, so it's, it's not a cakewalk to become certified. Um, oh, that's a huge undertaking in a situation where you're, you don't necessarily have, you know, the, the mentors and the, the one-on-one training. Uh, that's, that's a huge undertaking. And I can, I can imagine that the passage rate is, is low and, you know, uh, like you had sort of alluded to before that if you're not somebody who's a self-starter that really wants to study these things and learn it, um, it's, you're, you're probably not going to get there. Oh, you have to, yeah, you have to, you have to self-start. And I think the people that are, that are truly sort of decided that that's what they're going to do and, and, and that they can actually make a positive impact on, on, on the process and sort of help, um, the people that are coming to the law library for assistance. Um, we, you know, it's a small group. I, I would say of the, of say there's 500 law clerks in the system, I would say maybe, maybe there's 30 or 40 names that you sort of come across time and again. Um, and, and those names are the ones that are, that are sort of prominent, the, the guys that become well known in the law library for being able to assist. And those invariably are the ones that are constantly uh, reading, constantly researching, constantly, um, and, and always have uh, a great many cases in court, uh, whether it's a direct appeal or whether it's a post-conviction motion. It could be a, a, a it could be a civil matter. Um, a, you know, it could be a, a 1983 civil rights complaint, what, what have you. But um, I, I would routinely write to criminal attorneys or judges asking for perspective on various decisions, because it seemed to me that if if a judge, for example, was willing to communicate with me um and, and explain to me what their rationale or what their thinking was. And it didn't always happen, but occasionally I did get responses and, and I found those to be extremely valuable. And I wrote to law professors and got, I, I established a, a, a communication with actually three or four law professors during my time who, who were very, very helpful in, in, in assisting me in understanding kind of the things that I was trying to accomplish. Because when you're, when you're trying to help someone in prison, um, you see the same issues over and over again. And I think I mentioned to you this uh, at one point before where um, in, in the criminal context, you, you confront the same issues over and over again. And especially when you're dealing uh, with as many motions for post-conviction relief as, as, as you would reasonably expect to occur in a prison, then you're looking at, at trial counsel's performance from, from every imaginable perspective. And so um, how the courts apply 
the, the factual allegations that you make against the legal requirements for, 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 for a sufficient claim are the topic of, of a great deal of debate and conversation in law libraries and among the people that are actually doing this. And so, um, it, 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 it does, it does require self-starting. It does require that you sort of, that you sort of apply yourself to the exclusion of almost everything else. Um, which was, which is a benefit. Um, if, if you, like me, I had a, I had a, what I would describe as a lengthy sentence. Um, and f for me, it really, it really was uh, quite helpful to have something to focus on and, and, and for me to be able to assist people because I had, uh, um, I would modestly say I had a, a great deal of success. And so, you know, the first time I filed a motion uh, to correct someone's illegal sentence and they were released and I actually saw them leave the prison, um, uh, that, that sort of vindicated all the effort that I'd expended at that point. Hmm. Well, now let's talk about that because the, the, the language that you use, you were saying that, that you had filed, but of course these, the, the inmates are that you're helping are filing themselves, right? They're filing it personally. You, like you, as far as anyone knows, really involved, right? I mean, you're sort of the, you know, the, the invisible, uh, invisible helper, I guess. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, that's correct. Everything that I prepared, every, every appeal that I prepared, every reply brief I filed, um, every notice I ever sent to the court, everything was done from, from sort of the perspective of the pro se litigant. I was helping an inmate. And so, um, and, and, and so there's benefits and there's disadvantages to that. I think, um, the, the benefit from our standpoint as law clerks is obviously um, that that we could see sort of through the I don't want to call it a one way mirror, I suppose, because it, especially in appeals, we see the same names from the attorney general's office over and over and over again. And so we're able to sort of understand who who's going to be on the other side of the appeal, the appeal, who the appellee is going to be and, and what we can reasonably expect in terms of argument. Um, what their past performance has been, and sort of tailor our, our efforts in that respect. Whereas they really had no idea, in, in, unless they were able to discern the quality of the writing, I, I would expect that they they generally didn't know, couldn't discern from one you know pro se inmate from the next. So I think we had a a slight advantage in that respect. Um, and and of course, <laughs> I say that considering that you know obviously. Post-conviction appeals and 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 post-conviction efforts at post-conviction relief are, are an uphill battle no matter what. So any small advantage uh, would be would be something that you would that you would want to take advantage of. And I would say this too that from the perspective of of a pro se litigant, for example, um, when when a prisoner is trying to obtain post-conviction relief, there are there are very serious time limitations limitations period involved, right? And so. Um, whereas an attorney, an appellate attorney or, or, or somebody filing something in the circuit court would think very long and hard about the necessity and appropriateness of filing a rehearing, uh, particularly on an appeal, uh, for a pro se litigant in prison, that's absolutely guaranteed going to happen in, in almost 95% of the cases. Whether or not you could determine as an attorney that there was a valid basis for rehearing for a pro se prisoner, um, there are two benefits. The first one is there's not going to be any sanction if you file one. And the second one is, is that it could potentially extend the time limitations, you know, because that your, your time to file a federal uh, petition for habeas corpus is told when you have a valid uh, state motion pending. So, so there are some differences in how the cases sort of get handled. Um, and, 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 and not just that, but in a lot of respects, there are a lot of differences. I, I'd say that it's that it's a fair comment that that uh, that pro se litigants in prison can use stronger language in many respects, um, sometimes to their benefit, sometimes to their detriment. Um, I helped a lot of people for whom I didn't actually create the document that they would ultimately file. I just helped with research. And I've I've seen a lot of documents that uh, that I never would <laughs> never would have filed. But but some of them had. Uh, some positive effect for those inmates. Mm -hmm. No, that that's an interesting point. I mean, I, your point is well taken that when you're, when you're filing post-conviction uh, motions and, and asking for relief from prison pro se, you're, you know, you're always fighting an uphill battle, but there are little 
advantages here and there, little tweaks that, uh, that you can take advantage of. And it's without somebody like you who understands these are, these are such subtleties of the system, uh, that without somebody who's really studying the system, um, they would not, would not take advantage of. So that's, that's, um, I had not thought about that. That's, uh, definitely a benefit. Sure. And, and, and I think, uh, um, mentioning that before is, is the, the, the problem, I think, from from the perspective of of the courts, I, if I'm if I'm sort of going to put myself in their shoes for a moment, is that we see um, constantly um, filed documents in a in a prison law library that are just um, the product of 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 a misunderstanding of the law or a misapprehension of how a common law how the common law applies to the factual circumstances of the case, how precedent applies to their case. And so you see what, what, what amounts in many cases to, to just frivolous filings, filings with claims that have absolutely no merit whatsoever. And, um, and, and to compound that problem, I think a lot of times these claims are written, um, there's, they're hundreds of times longer than they, than they ought to be. So, and then a judge has to wade through those things. And that's sort of what I think a law clerk can, can help with and, and has a good law clerk can help with is that a lot of times we can take those claims and sort of um, modify them so that they have, um, first of all, that they have merit. I mean, if there's a, if a claim that has no merit comes to a, to a good law clerk, then they're going to try to convince that, that, that inmate to not file it or to, or to, um, to reevaluate how they choose to argue it. Um, and so, um, I think that that's probably what I spent the, the vast majority of my time doing is sort of explaining why this particular claim or, or that particular claim, um, lacked merit and shouldn't be filed because it would just be a waste of judicial resources to wade through that type of stuff. And you have to remember too, that, um, almost every inmate in Florida prison is a, is a lay person. And so, um, from their perspective, they want to sound lawyerly when, when they file a pro se pleading. And, and that means archaic language, um, use of Latin to, to, to a, an extent that I can't even describe with the proper adjective <laughs> and things like that. I mean, so, um, so, so my job in, in many respects was to take already written pro se pleadings and sort of try to get them to the point where they're at least stating a valid claim and, or, or if it's an appeal to try to, try to establish whether or not the issue is actually valid for appeal, whether it was preserved, for example, or, or, or any number of issues like that. Well, it sounds like from what, from what we have talked about that, the, that the certified prison law clerk program is sort of a benefit all the way around because it, it benefits the, the inmates in filing better and, uh, you know, more meritorious, uh, requests or appeals. It, it benefits the courts in getting, you know, better, more clearly written, uh, requests in front of it and, and possibly heading off, like you were saying, a lot that are not. Um, I certainly don't, I, I, I would suggest that pro se litigants, uh, or pro se inmates who want to file something are going to file it whether they get help or not. So to the extent that they're getting, you know, informed and knowledgeable help that that can only be a benefit to everybody in the process, I would think. I, I agree with that. And I think, um, that, that you're absolutely right. It, it, motions are going to get filed. I mean, there's a constitutional mandate to provide legal access to legal assistance to prisoners. And, and so, um, how, how a particular state or a particular, uh, prison decides to provide that access um, varies. Uh, it varies from state to state and even varies from prison to prison in, in times. But um, if you can if you can assist um, not only helping the inmate, and my opinion was always this, if I can if I can review, for example, your trial proceedings and you just got to prison and I can find errors of merit, preserved errors or fundamental errors that that actually will warrant the court's attention, um, then then I'm doing you a service. And if I actually help you with with the research and, and help you write the claim so that it's going to, so that it's going to be taken seriously, then I think everybody is served. The courts are served by that, by receiving something that's written, uh, that's articulate and, and that is correct. And, and I think that the inmate ultimately is served by that too. Um, and then, um, I can't tell you how many times, um, I've looked at adverse decisions from courts and poured over them with, 
with the inmate that I tried to help. And we sort of tried to parse what the, what the court's rationale was in denying the motion and determining what our next steps would be. But I think you're right. I think everybody has served, um, the, you know, the, the, the name sort of jailhouse lawyer is so, as a sort of a, a, a pejorative connotation. It's, it's not, uh, and, and I, in my experience, um, having, having been in that situation for so long, there are, um, jailhouse lawyers out there. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call, uh, a prison law clerk a jailhouse lawyer because, um, because of that connotation, but also because a real jailhouse lawyer is sort of willing to exploit loopholes or, or, or do other things that I would consider probably uh, not as ethical in order to achieve a result for an inmate. Whereas a law clerk sort of, sort of the ones that I, that I worked with and the ones that I knew that I had a great deal of respect for, um, we, we played by the rules and, and, and we felt like if, if we had an issue of merit, we didn't have to break it. You know, we didn't have to break any rules in order to get it to the, to the court. No, I think that's a great uh, distinction. I, I do think jailhouse lawyer is sort of a pejorative term that, that, you know, indicates maybe frivolous filings and repetitive filings and, you know, doing whatever, whatever can be done, right. whether it's, whether it's correct or not. Yeah. Right. Well, let me right. ask you this. You know, on the, in the in this, at least in the in the civil context in my world, you know, we we when I'm working with paralegals, and I also teach paralegals at uh, at the local college. You know, we we caution them about the hazards of providing legal advice, right, and engaging in the unlicensed practice of law. Right. Do you, do you think that? I mean, are you on the edge of that? Is that something that is that is discussed in the in the training program in the in the certified prison clerk training program? I mean, where where do you come down on you know where is the line as to what you can do as far as legal advice for 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 inmates? That's a that's an excellent question. Um, they do they they cover it in training. Um, a law clerk, uh, first of all, is is never compensated. So. Um, there's no charging for legal uh, work or, or legal assistance uh, from from the perspective of a, of a law clerk. Now, the same can't be said about a jailhouse lawyer, but for for somebody that's a certified law clerk that's assigned to the law library, there's no there's no charging. Here's here's the thing. Um, f- from my perspective, I, I, I found that in, I, I thought about that a lot because there were people obviously that, that came to me for help that had very limited education almost no understanding uh, of case law or anything uh, that would be even, I mean, it just would, it was, it would be impossible. It would have been impossible for me to, to, to assist them in their own research because uh, that would have been a futile effort on, on, for both of our parts. It would have, it would have just not been successful. Right. And so if that person needs help initiating a direct appeal, if for example, they received an Anders brief and they want to file a pro se direct appeal, or if they're, or if they're just coming to prison and, and wanting to file their appeal as soon as they get there, um, a lot of times a, a, a law clerk has to make judgments and you have to make judgments about what claims to raise. You have to analyze the trial record and, and decide what, what is going to have merit and what isn't. And then uh, almost unavoidably you're going to have to advise that inmate as to what you feel would be his best course of action in the appeal and then in, 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 the, in the actions following that. So in that sense, um, it's almost inescapable um, that you're going to, that you're going to at some point going to be offering your recommendations or your, your suggestions on how to proceed. That being said, right. Um, I, and I don't know how that could be avoided. I just don't know, um, how, how you could avoid that because for the, for those types of individuals that I helped, there was no way, um, that I could have done the things that I done or achieved the successful results that I did. I mean, I had reverse and remands in all five DCAs more, uh, m- multiples. And I think those results were derived from, from my ability to drive the case. If I couldn't have done that, if I had to defer to, for example, the, the, the suggestion of, a, of an inmate who was telling me that he heard about a case in the chow hall that, that he wanted to be included in his motion or petition or his brief um, because he heard somebody won. I mean, that happens all the time. And so you have to make judgments. And so do law clerks function as attorneys? Do they, do they practice law? I, I don't know that I'd go that far because I really sort of tried to concentrate on assisting with research and sort of helping build claims. But for someone that that lacked 
the ability. And I think there's a provision actually in, in the administrative rules that if, that if somebody does demonstrate that they have a, a, a certain level of education, then, then you're uh, permitted to, to assist them um, throughout the entire, you know, the initiation and, and, and then the, throughout the entire uh, body of the case. So um, right. it's very difficult because um, in, law, in law libraries, all that's talked about is is the law. What 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 is how is the common law evolving? We looked at a lot of issues and stayed stayed on top of a lot of issues. For example, juvenile sentencing ha, has been uh, during my last year juvenile sentencing and how Graham and and these cases are being interpreted and and how that those cases are evolving. You you talk about those and so you form opinions. You form opinions about how the law applies to the specific circumstances of a of a person that might be standing right in front of you that was sentenced as a juvenile and and so. Um, so I wouldn't say that, that they're actually practicing law or that we actually practice law, but I would say that, that, um, it's as close to a hybrid as you could, as you could get. Um, because, because I would describe a, a prison law clerk as a cross between a paralegal and an attorney and in the sense that there's duties from both sides of, of that equation that sort of apply, but neither apply completely. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's and it's a, it seems like it's a fine line. And I think that it's you know I think we can't lose uh, focus on the fact that what happens you know inside a correctional institution is different than what happens outside. You know, and the things that probably the nature of the services rendered you know on, on the outside would would probably not be okay. Uh, but you know, I was looking at the. Um, for an administrative code, and it says, you know, that law inmate law clerks are allowed to provide legal assistance, and there's they they break that down into a lot, you know, uh, assisting inmates in conducting legal research, assisting in the preparation of documents and legal mail, uh, assisting with the preparation of grievances, access to court forms. I mean, it's you know, it is a fine line, but but I don't know if this if this program you know, was, was strictly interpreted that you, you couldn't assist with legal advice. It, it wouldn't be of much benefit, right? Because there's, I don't know how else you do these things without providing some level of legal advice. And obviously you have to make sure that, you know, that you're, that the people you're assisting are the ones who are making the decisions and ultimately, you know, deciding their own, their own fate. But, but it's, it's an interesting distinction. And I think it's, it's, the answer is, it's just different. That's a, that's a great way to describe it because when you ha, ha, it's interesting that they that you discuss it as legal assistance because that could be in, interpreted uh, both ways. I suppose I could assist somebody just filling out a form, and at the same time I could assist them in determining what 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 valid legal claims for them to raise and and when they should file something and and what strategic moves they should they should next make in their case if they don't prevail in in their current action. Um, so I think both of those, both of, you know, assistance sort of falls under both ambits, if, if I'm being honest. And so, um, and, and I, I just don't know how um, a law clerk or anybody really in that, in that situation could, could function if they weren't able to make some independent judgments regarding how, how to, to best help the person that you're dealing with. And I did a, I did a great deal of um, inmate grievances in my time. Um, and they're, uh, all the way through administrative appeals, and sometimes mandamus uh, afterwards uh, with with the courts, um, if if we weren't successful in, at the institutional level, and those require the same sort of application of judgment and and whether or not the the claim is meritorious, whether there's an actual grievance involved, et cetera. So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, my role here uh, at, at the firm I work at now is 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 is. Night and day, the difference. I don't make those kind of judgments anymore. I, I now, I now I'm I'm supervised, and I might work on a claim or I might do some research and write a legal memoranda. But the the difference is 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 uh, is is quite remarkable, actually. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida, or any other state or federal court, contact Commercial Surety. They can be reached at www.commercialsurety.com or by phone toll-free at 877-810-5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes.
And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine. Nothing rhymes with supersedious. If you really want to understand appellate bonds and how the business works so that you can better explain that and discuss it with your client, I highly recommend you give that episode a listen. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA sponsoring the show. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give them a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process and give you one less thing to worry about. So do you think that the, the certified uh, law clerk uh, or prison law clerk program, do you think that it's working? I'll tell you this. I think it. I think that if you were just dealing um, with the issues of basic assistance and maybe just assisting somebody and pointing them towards a book, um, then then you'd be in. Then then it would probably be effective. Um, but but I've what I've always what I've always felt and and what I continue to believe is that um, it takes such a great deal more knowledge to be effective in doing this job than, than just the basic training, which is, which the training itself is, is perfectly, uh, is, is, it's perfectly adequate for what it purports to do. But if the goal is to actually provide meaningful assistance and meaningful access to the courts, then, um, I've always been of the opinion. And, and of course I'm, I, I haven't deeply researched this issue other than, and, uh, than, than to have, have talked to various professionals about it. But I, I always felt like, um, that there should be some uh, higher degree of certification, and and my suggestion was that the, that the Florida bar should should potentially investigate in certifying uh, or doing some kind of certification program. And, and there's two reasons for that. Um, the first one is is that if a person can demonstrate the level of knowledge required to do the things that I've seen prison law clerks do, I mean there are there are there are not many that are that are that I would consider excellent, but the ones that I do consider excellent, they're, they're quite good. And, and their knowledge is encyclopedic. And if you can show or demonstrate that you can reach that level, then, um, then you ought to be able to take responsibility for what you've done, or at least, you know, be able to mark down on, on something that's being filed that you're responsible for that. And there's two reasons for that. The first one is, is that obviously accountability comes with, with responsibility. And so if you're, filing something that lacks merit or, uh, and that's a big problem because uh, there are any number of reasons that claims that lack, completely lack merit are filed and they are just a burden on the system. They're, they're, they, they do not serve the inmate to any degree because they're going to lose. They don't serve the judiciary because they have to wade through uh, these claims and adjudicate claims that are just, that are just uh, frivolous in many respects. And, and they don't, so, so they really don't serve anything. Uh, and so if, if, um, if, a, if a law clerk was able to take responsibility for the assistance that they'd rendered um, and demonstrate a level of, of knowledge uh, significantly higher than what is currently required of a, of, a, of, a, of a prison law clerk, then I think that would, that would even, even better serve the, all of the parties involved. Um, and so do I think it's a good program? I, I think it's an excellent program for what it for what it purports to do, and I think it does that job admirably um, because it produces not just people that are that are doing the basic jobs of, of sort of cataloging the books and making sure the computers work, but it also produces individuals that that are uh, it, that I would respectfully say are are formidable, formidable in in terms of what they can accomplish. Right. So it sounds like you're saying you know more more training. Uh, would make uh, the law parks more uh, productive and more effective, but you're also arguing for more accountability. So I think that's you know that's interesting. I mean, it's the uh, let's let's make them better, but let's also you know hold them accountable. And I think that's um, that's interesting, and it is something that you know makes some sense, and maybe is something that the Florida Bar could could be involved in in some way. We certified paralegals, we certified, you know, board specialists, you know, board certified specialists, um, you know, to give some objective indication of, of skills. And, you know, I think that's an interesting idea. Right. And, and, and it, and, and the other, there's another thing, it's sort of ancillary to the, to the main point I was trying to make, but, um, sort of as a sidelight to that, um, you have a you have a person like me. If I just to use myself for an example, that devoted themselves to this for a decade. 
I did nothing but this for a decade. I, I, I read treatises, case law. Um, I did everything I could. I tried to improve my writing and I, and I really devoted myself to this. Uh, and yet, um, aside from the certification that I received uh, as a law clerk, um, when, I, when I left, uh, I had really nothing uh, to show for that decade of, of, uh, of expenditure. Um, and it, I got very lucky because I, I had retained over the years uh, exemplars of my writing and, uh, and some of, some of the, uh, the successes that I had and, and some of the stuff that I worked on. And it was only, um, it was only, I think with those examples that, that I was able to, to, to even, uh, get a job in this field, because if I had lacked that, if I had just had, um, my word or, or for example, just, a, just a certification paper from, from the prison, I don't know that I would have been taken seriously. Uh, to even get in the door to talk to a, a law firm or to an attorney about what, what I could potentially offer that firm. Well, so that's a perfect segue into, to talk about sort of where, where you are at this point. I, I know that you are uh, working for the law firms of Charles Fletcher in, in Jacksonville uh, and that uh, Mr. Fletcher, and I, I don't know if it's just him or if there's other lawyers, but handle mostly uh, okay. post-conviction matters. And, and how, how did that come to be? How did you get uh, how did you get connected up with uh, Mr. Fletcher? When I came uh, to work release, when you when you leave uh, prison, formal prison, you go to uh, in many many respects, you, in many cases, you go to a work release center. And my goal was to try to see if I could uh, get it get a job in, in this field. I specifically wanted to to, to do the same thing, um, criminal. Uh, post-conviction motions and appeals and things of that nature. And so I prepared a letter um, that was sort of an introductory letter, letter that described my qualifications as I saw them in my experience. And um, I owe, I owe um, a great uh, debt of gratitude uh, to Mr. Fletcher and to his office manager, Thomas Sutton, for reading uh, my letter and not just discarding it because um, when, when Mr. Sutton called me on the phone and asked me uh, some questions about my general knowledge and experience and, and what I could actually accomplish, if I, I mean, did I believe I could actually make a contribution? Um, after those initial conversations, um, they invited me to come down and, and interview with them and, and, and basically asked me to bring some writing samples, of which I had, I had a lot. And so after that, it was several months. Uh, I spoke to them uh, I think over the next two months, several times, and and we continued our dialogue. And, and Mr. Sutton asked me a, a, a great many questions, as did as did Mr. Fletcher. And then finally, um, they offered me an opportunity to come in uh, and and work for the firm based on based on I would I would say based on just the just the amount of just pure knowledge uh, that I'd that I'd accumulated over, over the the ten years that I spent in prison. And so, um, but it wasn't an overnight thing. And, and it, it took, I, I think, um, I took, I, I think, uh, that it, that for both Mr. Sutton and Mr. Fletcher, um, I don't think the jury was out, uh, completely until I was able to come in and, and sort of demonstrate that I could, uh, that I could actually do what I said I could. Um, so I, I owe a great deal of gratitude both to, to both of them and, and for, for giving me an opportunity to demonstrate that all of the hard work and the, and the knowledge that I've accumulated um, in prison could actually be put to productive use here um, in, in this context. Um, and though I describe that my, my, my job duties are different, um, I don't have anywhere near the level of autonomy that I had before. Um, I'm still able to, to, to function in a, in a manner that I think is, is very contributory here. And, and I feel valued. And, and, and so I, I don't have words to express my gratitude to Mr. Fletcher or Mr. Or Mr. Sutton. Do you think that this is something unusual? Are there other uh, law firms that that have done this, or is this um, is this somewhat uncommon? No, no. I, I would actually describe it as as I wouldn't say common, but I know of two other prison law clerks that that work for law firms right now uh, that I know personally, and um, right. and I so I, I I think that when you when you become, I mean, I would. Uh, I don't want to say that I'm an expert, but I know criminal uh, Florida criminal practice and procedure as well as I think you can know it. And so um, when you have that knowledge, when you just know how the rules apply to cases and what's supposed to happen in, in a trial context and 
when you when you have that sort of fundamental understanding, um, then then you can be a contributor. And and so what it takes is um, for you to get a chance to demonstrate that knowledge. Uh, I don't think every law clerk that I'd met, in fact, the vast majority of law clerks that I knew probably would not fit in um, or, or would not be a good match, you know, for a law for a law firm. Um, it's just a different environment. There right. are different requirements, different expectations. Yes. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, the vast majority of good law clerks that I knew were serving life sentences. And I don't know why that is, but it just seems, it seemed to me that in my experience, the really good law clerks, the ones that were really effective seem to be serving really lengthy, lengthy sentences. And maybe, um, there's some logic behind that, that I've never been able to actually discern. There were excellent ones that weren't, but the majority of the really good ones that I knew were serving a, a great deal of time. I guess that does make some sense. You know, I imagine when you have, when you're facing that, you know, having something to do with your life, some purpose, you know, some, some way to, to be useful and something to look forward to is probably, you know, it's probably powerful. I, 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 there's probably some psychological yeah. reason behind that, that, that yeah. some sense. I, I, but. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm qualified to make that assessment, but I, I think that you're, that you're, you probably hit it right up better. Andrew, I don't. I don't want to sound condescending when I say this. It's. It's. Um, uh, that's not my intention at all. But uh, you know, you 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 are clearly very impressive with the level of knowledge that you have. You know, I I knew a lot of this stuff at one time back in two thousand six when I studied uh, for the board certification exam. I don't do any criminal law, so I, you know, criminal appeals. I'm sure that uh, you know far more about this than than, than I probably ever did what I needed to learn to pass the test, you know, so I wouldn't ever have to do it again. But no, clearly you have, your experience is valuable. Your knowledge is impressive. Your, you know, your, your, your writing skills, uh, I mean, got my attention in the email that, that you sent me. So I, again, I, please don't, I, I don't want, I don't mean to sound condescending when I say it, but you're very no. impressive in that respect. And, and no, thank you. that, um, you know, you definitely offer some value and I'm glad that, uh, that uh, that Mr. Fletcher was able to give you that opportunity because uh, it would be a waste of your talent otherwise. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. It means a lot. So, what are your plans going forward? Do you do you know? Uh, yeah, I do. Well, my my immediate plans are to stay with with uh, with Mr. Fletcher, uh, and uh, that's basically the extent of them. I relocated to Jacksonville. I'm I'm originally from Central Florida, but I relate relocated up here. Uh, and to do this job. And I have no immediate plans to leave this job. Um, I'm doing what I discovered. It's actually, I think about it sometimes, um, a sort of uh, with a degree of, uh, I don't want to say uh, sadness, but I think about um, how much I enjoy doing this work and how much uh, I really feel like I found a calling, but I found it so late. And, um, and so it's too bad that I didn't get a chance to discover the uh, how much I like doing this earlier in my life, but um, I'm going to do it for as long as I can. I'm going to continue to try to contribute here as long as he'll permit me to do so. And um, so, so those are my, those are my uh, short-term plans and my long-term plans really are just to continue to grow, to continue to learn. I'm going to, Mr. Fletcher wants me to go back to school and I'm going to do that and continue to, to just try to, increase the value that I bring here. And, and if I could ever get involved in, 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 I thought one goal down the line, if I could find the time to do it would be to try to sort of um, work with a few people that I know in, in writing a curriculum that, that might at some point get submitted um, that would demonstrate the level that I think you have to be at in order to do this uh, really, really well. uh, If you're in, if you're a law clerk, and I would like to work on that as well. And other than that, just sort of sort of try to come to terms with my newfound freedom and, and, and do the best job that I can. You know, it is sort of bittersweet, I guess, when you when you discover your 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 calling, you know, later in life. But, uh, you know, I, sometimes I think that it, it's not your calling until you get there. You know what I mean? There are life experiences that, that shape you and form you. And all of a sudden you, you find something that that really. Uh, you know, excites you, and that, uh, and I'm I'm glad you found that, and that's um, that's great. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I I appreciate your time. I'm I'm so glad that uh, 
that you wrote to me and that we were able to talk about some criminal law on the podcast. And maybe we'll talk about some more. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, people will really appreciate your story. And maybe we've brought, uh, given people an opportunity to think some about the, uh, the prison law clerk program and, and the benefits that it brings. And maybe there's some opportunities for some change and some improvement there, too. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, I should ask you if, if people want to get a hold of you or get a hold of your firm, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? It's the email address is Fletcher Law, all one word, 115 at gmail.com. And um, the telephone number to the office is 904 349 6818. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, I, I hope that maybe something good comes out of this, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Many thanks to Andrew for being my guest on the Issues on Appeal podcast. I apologize for some of the audio issues. Recording over the internet, there's always new challenges. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice. Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. That being said, if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. You can contact me at Issues on Appeal on Twitter or my professional email, ddaiker at shoemaker.com. My contact information is always in the show notes, which are available in your podcast player or on our website, issuesonappeal.com. And please consider using our sponsor, Commercial Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is in the show notes. Please take a moment now, add it to your contacts, so you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. I've got another great show coming up in two weeks. And as always, thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. Issues on Appeal.